Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. America's fastest growing TV brand, TCL, brings you Mackie and Judd. Here's one down the field for Robinson. Batted and picked off by Deron Harmon. I think he's doing a good job. We're, we talk all the time. We talk about, uh, um, you know, things, things what I think are important. And, uh, you know, I think he tries to do those. I think somebody, somebody pointed out, I should verify this, but maybe it's fake news. But it sounds right that the Broncos actually have the same number of points as the Vikings this season. I think it was Corzo that tweeted It was Corzo. Yes, it was very close. That uh, the Case Keenum-led Broncos offense and the uh, Kirk Cousins-led with John D. Filippo Vikings offense have pretty much scored the same amount of points. Matthew Collar from Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com. On John D. Filippo, do you think, and maybe it's too early to tell, maybe we're just being too hard on the first 11 games of a guy's offensive coordinating tenure here, but is it possible the Vikings fell into the trap of hiring someone based on their proximity to a successful offense and organization? Or do we still think that, that John Filippo was a key cog in what the Eagles were doing? Well, first I can uh, confirm uh, that the Denver Broncos averaged more points per drive, so their offense has been more efficient. And uh, also the New York Giants do, too, and we haven't thought of them exactly as explosive, but they have Pat Shermer. Um, the answer to your question, I guess, can be answered with another question, Phil, which is, does John Filippo work here if the Philadelphia Eagles – do not destroy the Vikings in the NFC Championship. I, I don't see any way that you could answer yes, that he would have still ended up here. I mean, I think that had a lot to do with it, that the guy was the quarterback coach for the team that just whooped you in the NFC title game and had Nick Foles throwing bombs down the field to Elshon Jeffrey and you know whipping RPOs all over the place. And I, and I think that... Uh, the Vikings bought into that a little maybe too much. And when you look at the other offensive minds that were running things there last year for the Eagles, you're talking about Frank Reich, who, aside from last week, has been successful offensively uh, running the Indianapolis offense. And then you know, Doug Peterson, uh, as the head coach, worked with Andy Reid in you know, Kansas City and was known for his offensive mind as well. And I think the Vikings thought that Filippo was going to carry over a lot of that. And to some extent, he's carried over a lot of the same plays But what I feel like with this offense is it just doesn't have an identity to it, that from week to week it is not a conducive offense. It's more of just sort of a set of plays, and uh, that that hasn't really worked from week to week. The the, uh, offense has been extremely inconsistent under DeFilippo, and I do wonder how much of that is just inexperience and not knowing his own identity 
as a game planner and play caller. So what's your opinion of what's going to change uh, offensively, potentially, uh, in Seattle on Monday night, caller? And also, is is running more hurry up and answer, or did that just work on Sunday? And if you start to do that consistently, defenses are going to be able to account for that and stop that. Is, is that is that something that they should be doing, or is that sort of a, a short-term solution? It worked against the Patriots, but if you then start to consistently try and do that, teams are going to be able to uh, combat it defensively. Well, I would say as far as uh, what we'll see and changes in the game plan, if you can't run against Seattle, you can't run against anybody. Uh, they are the worst rushing defense in the entire NFL. They're giving up over 100 yards a game, 5.1 yards per carry, uh, which is dead last. So if you can't run against them, uh, then you can't run against anyone. So I, I would expect to see them come up with a lot more creative ways to get Delvin Cook the ball and, and use some of the things that they did uh, against uh, the New England Patriots that had success in the running game. I mean, they, they used their, uh, our offensive line guy on the Purple Podcast, Brandon Thorne, pointed this out to me that they football. That is right. We have an offensive line guy. Right? Gotta but, you got to uh, eat. Brandon, he, our guy pointed out that Brian O'Neill was pulling and using his athleticism in the run game more this week. Uh, and, and I think that that's a huge asset for them, and they should continue to do that with him and Pat Elfline and use those guys to their strengths. As far as the no huddle goes, I mean, I, I think they should just go to it. Uh, right now they are 25th in average time of drive, so it couldn't get any worse. If you're concerned about you know, giving the ball right back, if you go three and out, it couldn't get any worse in terms of how much time they're using. So uh, you know what that allows? Uh, it allows Kirk Cousins to get some mismatches, it wears down the defense. As Mike Zimmer said it takes the defense's breath away. And then it allows Cousins to do something that I think he's very good at, which is to walk up to the line of scrimmage, take a look what he's got on the other side, make some reads, and then go from there as opposed to trying to just run exactly the play that John D. Filippo asked him to run. Putting some of the control in Cousins' hands actually might be a good idea, and Cousins alluded to wanting to try it a little bit more. How much no huddle can a team conceivably run in a game? Remember when Chip Kelly came in and they were running, they were snapping it with 25 seconds left on the play clock every time, and they were it was just full court press the whole game, and that lasted about a month, and players were complaining, and uh, logistically it was difficult. I mean, how much can you push that pedal to the metal? Well, uh, no huddle doesn't necessarily have to mean everyone acts like their hair is on fire and runs up to the line of scrimmage. Uh, a lot of defenses made some changes there to use hand signals to be able to quickly adapt to what they were seeing, and that hurt Chip Kelly. The other thing, too, was that uh, Chip Kelly had no counterpunch. It was basically like this is what worked in college all the time, but in the NFL – Teams are going to adapt so quickly that you needed a different direction to go once they did, and Chip Kelly just kept going to the same things over and over to the point where you saw defenses, they knew what plays were coming with what formations, different things like that, and I, and I think that that really hurt him. Plus, the guy traded like his two best players. That always hurts you, too. If you trade Deshaun Watson, or I'm sorry, Deshaun Jackson and uh, LaShawn McCoy, you trade away those guys, that's going to hurt you, too. But, uh, you know, you don't have to go fast. I mean, the uh, Indianapolis Colts offense and Denver Broncos to some extent, too, with Peyton Manning, they would walk up to the line of scrimmage and Manning would send out the signals. And sometimes it was quick and sometimes it was slow, but it always kept the defense on the field and it sort of kept them off balance and allowed him to call the shots. And maybe they need to try more of that with Kirk Cousins. 
All right. So when when you saw that work at the end of the first half against the Patriots, Matthew Collar, did you think to yourself the Vikings are onto something and this works, or did you think what I sort of thought, which was this? Kirk Cousins, a lot of times when when I watch him him play in the normal system, looks like he's thinking a lot. It seemed to me that when they went to the up-tempo offense that he didn't have time to, to process as much and just had to make play bang, bang, bang. Do you think it comes down to that, or do, do you think that they actually found something that was tangible? Because the Cousins thing that I kept coming back to was he looks like he's more, he's more comfortable because there's not as much time to process. Yeah, that might be some part of it, and I think that maybe the biggest part is that he has control at that point. I mean, there's a pretty obvious run play uh, to Delvin Cook that appears that Kirk Cousins called it, that he went up to the line of scrimmage and he saw what the defense looked like, and then he checked to a run, and they gained five yards, and it was a, it was a nice little gain uh, for Delvin Cook that maybe he could have even broken for more if one thing goes this way or that way. And, that, and that's probably it right there is that, you know, Cousins was able to, after the first completion to Stephon Diggs, run up to the line of scrimmage, realize that Kyle Rudolph had one-on-one coverage with a defensive back, and at that point you just know you're going to throw it up to Kyle Rudolph because this you know, 5'10 defensive back doesn't have much of a chance. I think it makes it very difficult for the defense to disguise things when you're running up to the line of scrimmage. And then I think it, it also helps the quarterback. It, these you know, defensive linemen are just bursting full speed over and over and over again, and by the third or fourth play they can get pretty worn down. So I, I like the benefits of it. Uh, if you have a quarterback who can run it, and uh, as far as Cousins has performed when they've done it this year, he's got very good numbers. They just haven't done it a whole heck of a lot. So it could be something that we see more against Seattle. Well, what, what did you think of the, the Packers are just a clown show right now? And uh, Winston Moss, for people for people who don't remember, Winston Moss is the Packers' assistant coach who got up to the podium and basically refused to answer any questions, just basic questions from reporters a few weeks ago. And then he tweeted something about Aaron Rodgers being a bad leader and got fired by Joe Philbin yesterday. Uh, what do you make of the Green Bay Packers right now, Matthew? I don't understand uh, what Winston Moss is doing, except for it reminds me of like when I used to work at a grocery store and I knew it was my last day. I always sort of dreamed of just like going through the aisles and knocking stuff off, like, throwing items at customers, you know, just whatever, pushing carts at cars, just I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm never working here again. I mean, that's basically what he did was like, I'm never working here again. So I'm going to take a flamethrower to my career and just trash Aaron Rodgers. I don't really understand that at all. And the funniest part about it is he says championship teams do this, 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 like, um, buddy, like, you have a ring because of Aaron Rodgers. Do you not realize that? It wasn't because you coached up the linebackers so well, buddy. It was because of A-A-Ron. That's why you won the championship. So, I don't know. I mean, I think it's probably just a case of extreme frustration and finger-pointing that's likely gone on inside that organization over the last two years as things have really fallen apart there. And I think that the next coach has a heck of a lot more to do than just coming in and putting in a more innovative offense. I think there's a lot of work to do with their personnel that's pretty weak on both sides of the ball. There's definitely some cleaning up to do with how just people feel about each other inside of that organization. They are definitely a team that needs someone who uh, is good at at, at leadership and not just offense. Football. Yes. Uh, what What is available for football fans on 1500ESPN.com right now, Matthew, and the Purple Podcast? Oh, 
Yes, uh, Sage Rosenfels and I, former Viking quarterback, uh, we gave our Journeyman Quarterback of the Week award to Seneca Wallace. Whoa, so nice. You could, yeah, that's right. And, and Sage was not a video game player at all. So when I bring up how great Seneca Wallace was on Madden, they're like it's just a blank stare, basically. But uh, for all those Madden fans, you'll remember, sign Seneca Wallace, you'll be okay. And uh, the rest of it is just a, a really close look at what the Vikings can do on offense and how teams overlooked Russell Wilson and, and why there's that, that short bias that shouldn't be there. Come on! Football! Seneca Wallace, you could just, you could Iowa State just guy, run, right? run the ball with him on every match. Like Iowa State, yeah, they were pretty Both good his senior year. Both yeah. of them. Yeah. Iowa State. Now, 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 Sage points out that his team won more games than uh, Seneca Wallace uh, at Iowa State. But, yes, on Madden, you could just roll him out and uh, throw a short pass or just take off. He's unstoppable. He's like the, the poor man's Michael Vick on that game. Yeah, he was, he was QB Eagles pretty much on Tecmo Super Bowl. Back in the day. So, <laughs> yeah. all right. Bye, Matthew. See you, Collar. It's uh, Matthew Collar from 1500ESPN.com and the uh, Purple Podcast. Well, we'll get to uh, Rich Gannon as part of our football hour here. When we come back, we'll wrap with Roycey later on, which you can also find Roycey and Judd unchained, untethered. Gloves are off. That's all I got to say. Uh, on the Mackie and Judd podcast feed. But first, live from the TCL broadcast studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Come on, there's so much to do. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's uh, check traffic here before we get to Rich Gannon. 694 eastbound, we got a crash uh, in Fridley between East River Road and University Avenue. It is causing an 11-minute delay. Uh, 35W northbound, we got a crash between 60th and Diamond Lake Road in Richfield. Extra five minutes there. And we got a traffic incident of some sort. And now 169 northbound, that's uh, causing about a seven-minute delay. It's between uh, Shillard Parkway and 13th Avenue in Golden Valley. Actually, Football. you know what those people are doing? Those people are those people are stopping in the middle of the road and pulling over to listen to the football hour. They know Rich Gannon's yeah. coming up, and they don't they don't want to be distracted, <laughs> so they've pulled over to listen to football insights. They're Hello. not multitasking. No. Oh, good. No. Hello, Rich. Hey guys, how are you? So, we're doing all right here. We're uh, we're we're waiting for the Vikings to give us a meaningful win. And uh, Rams, nope. Bears, nope. Uh, Patriots, nope. Saints, nope. So I know you said last week that these next two games, Patriots and 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 Seahawks, are going to tell us a lot about the Vikings. Well, one down, and we know that the Vikings uh, came up with a loss. So, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know. I just think they've got to continue to reevaluate what they're doing. I think offensively, it's beyond me that they had averaged over seven yards a carry and only run the ball 13 times against Tom Brady and, and, and the Patriots. And look, you know, you talk about going into Foxborough, what you have to do. We talked a little bit about it last week, guys. Keep Brady on the sidelines where he belongs. I think you do that by, you know, by taking some time off the clock, by running the football, by trying to be a little bit more physical with them. And, for whatever reason, um, you know, John D. Filippo and, and, and uh, the offensive staff, I mean, I just think when push comes to shove, they want to put the ball in the hands of Kirk Cousins. And, it, you know, at times it's worked really well for them. But I just knew going into that game that the one thing that Belichick does as well as any coach in football, he's going to take away what you do well. And they weren't going to let Stefan Diggs, uh, you know, have – 10 or 12 catches in that game. They weren't going to let Adam Thielen have 10 or 12 catches. Both had five catches, both less than 50 yards, both non-factors. And that's, you know, that's what they do. And so I just felt like, 
you know, running the football was going to be important, and I think it'll be important again this week against a team that is committed, probably as much as any team in football, to running the football, and that's the Seattle Seahawks. So, hey, Rich, help me out here, though, because you you t- talked about this l- last week as we discussed the uh, Patriots game. What I don't get is, you know, there's times when, when you go into a game as a team and, and you're surprised. Belichick does something and you're surprised. And he beats you and you say, well, that's that's a tough loss to take, but he surprised us. You basically on the show last week, though, laid out what the Vikings would have to do offensively to win, and they didn't come close. Can you, as you look back at that now, deduct a why? Because it doesn't make sense that we could talk about it. Uh, same thing for the Bears game, Rich. And and offensively, this team seems to to insist on, at times, sabotaging itself instead of doing what makes common sense. Well, I would say this. There's no shame in going into Foxborough in late November, December and losing. I mean, most teams do it. They're, they're mm-hmm. dominant at home. Uh, they're, they're one of the smartest teams in football. They just don't, they don't commit a lot of mistakes. You know, whether it's turnovers, whether it's penalties, unforced errors. It's a well-coached team, and you've got a quarterback that's a smart guy and that knows how to get his team to the finish line every week. And you know, I just knew that they were going to, when they look at the Vikings, the one thing that they wouldn't be overly concerned about was the running game. They felt like they had to take away really the big three, Stephon Diggs, Kyle Rudolph, and Adam Thielen. You look at the big three, they combined for 13 catches, uh, you know, less than 100 yards. And, I mean, you know, that's, that kind of tells the story in the game. I mean, I think they do a great job matching up. I, I think they match speed with speed. I've, I've done games with the Patriots where he has seven defensive backs on the field. Uh, you know, against Miami, they did a lot of that, and they just they just frustrate you. And if you can't shift gears, and you can't adjust the game plan, and that's the one thing that they do as well as any team in football, they'll make adjustments to the game plan, significant adjustments to the game plan on the sidelines in the first quarter. They don't wait till halftime; they do it on the sidelines in the first quarter, and that's what you have to do when you go in and play a team like the Patriots in Foxborough. Yeah. Uh, Rich Gannon, our guest here, a weekly guest during Mackie and Judd's football hour, and uh, we always enjoy this this conversation. It feels like we were we were just watching some more video of Aaron Rodgers uh, answering questions about the latest happenings in Green Bay. You've got Mike McCarthy out. You got Winston Moss tweeting negative things about Aaron Rodgers, and then Joe Philbin fires him. And there just feels to be a lot of tension in the air in Green Bay these days, Rich. A lot of tension. I would say, I would say that's uh, maybe the understatement. You know, I was <laughs> I was surprised, like like most people. You know, Mike McCarthy was my quarterback coach for four years in Kansas City. I had a very good relationship with him, still do. I think he's an outstanding football coach. Mike Zimmer apparently feels the same way. So does Sean Payton. So um, not everything's fair in life. I'm sure Mike will find another job relatively soon. Uh, I just get the sense that the relationship – um, between he and Aaron uh, just hasn't been the same. I think there's, you know, there's some frustration and uh, probably from both sides. And and uh, you know, when a guy's making twenty five million dollars a year, it's pretty clear who's gonna, who's, you know, who's the odd man out. So, um, you know, I, I always say, be careful what you ask for. Sometimes, you know, you, you're not happy with the one coach. They bring another coach in. You realize, you know what, the other guy wasn't so bad. And the other thing that about Mike McCarthy, and I know it didn't turn out so much this year, but I think he's one of the best play callers in all of football. I, I, I know Mike Zimmer feels the same way, and that, that to me is maybe the biggest loss, not just Mike as a head coach, but the guy who's called plays for Aaron Rodgers, you know, for basically the last 14 seasons. 
Hey, Rich, how, how dysfunctional uh, could this turn as well? Because because it sounds like the president of the team now is going to step in and hire the coach. They've got a GM, but he's going to just basically consult with Murphy, the president. Uh, when when you get a lot of uh, of uh, cooks in the kitchen for hiring a coach like this, how quickly can t- things turn awkward or bad? You know, I, I was just doing the math. I, my guess is, and it's still early and still some things can happen, but I'm looking at about seven different organizations that are going to replace head coaches this season and this offseason. That's a lot. We've already got two that have been fired, Q Jackson in Cleveland, Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. So, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of good candidates out there, but I don't know if there's seven of them. And, you know, there's a chance we can get a college coach or two that comes in and coaches a, an organization. Uh, you know, it's 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 um, it, it, the Packers are a team that um, uh, is going in the middle of a transition. You mentioned with the, the hierarchy of the general manager, first year general manager. Uh, the roster, in my opinion, is I don't want to say devoid of talent, but they they've got a ways to go. They got to rebuild that defense, uh, the offense as well, in some key areas. You've got the quarterback, but um, you know you better find somebody that can coach the quarterback. Now it doesn't have to be the head coach, but you better find somebody that can come in and coach that guy and get him comfortable and get him playing like he's capable of, or it's really not going to matter. Yeah, there's there's so much pressure now to find the the next Sean McVay, the next the next mastermind type. You know, what, where would you if if you were tasked with a blank canvas and it's time to hire a coach and some and some assistant coaches. What is the number one quality you would look for in in your coaching search? It's a great question. Um, you know, and that's part of the problem in our league. Our league is so trendy. A lot of these owners, they just um, they listen to a lot of people outside their building. You know, everyone everyone wants to find the next Sean McVay, but you know they're not a dime a dozen. And I think Sean is very unique. Um, you know, I think that everyone's going to try and look for that next young up and coming play caller to you know maybe. Be that guy. Josh McDaniels is a name that's been thrown around. But um, I think you're going to look for a person with great character and integrity, uh, great leadership skills, uh, someone with a master plan that can come in and, and uh, quickly uh, you know, put together a good staff. And that's as important as anything, guys. You know, you can have a great coach, but, but I've seen this happen. I've seen a lot of coaches come in and put together a, a, a poor staff. I think the worst thing you can do, as he, like, look at Sean McVay. The first person he hired was Wade Phillips. You know, a guy who's old enough to be his father. Mm-hmm. But everywhere he's been, he's been a terrific defensive coordinator. I think, you know, you've got to hire people with experience. I've seen coaches, young coaches come in, and they hire a first-time offensive coordinator, first-time defensive coordinator, first-time special teams coordinator. And, and they're, they're all fired within, you know, 24 months. Yeah. So I think it's important that, you know, you, you put together a really good staff, and that's not easy. Uh, there's not just a lot of great coaches on the street looking for work. A lot of these the good ones are already employed by the other 31 NFL teams. So, Rich, of these seven potential jobs that you talk about, which one do you think is the plum job? Which one is, is the best job, do you think? Um, you know, I don't know if there's the, the best one. Yep. Uh, the Jets have a good young quarterback, and Darnold, he needs a lot of – he needs to be – reeled back in and, and uh, you know, he, the ball security issues are continuing an issue, but they've got, I think they've, they've got a, uh, they got a chance. Cleveland, I'm telling you, you look at the, the roster in Cleveland. I'm Baker Mayfield may be the best quarterback out of this rookie class, if you ask me. They've got a good young back. They've got two outstanding stud, stud players on defense who are rookies. I mean, they've got four or five really good young players. 
that's an organization I think has got a chance to do something pretty quickly. Um, who knows what's going to happen in Denver if they don't make the playoffs. Um, I think you look at the situation in Arizona. Uh, that coach could be one and done. Tampa Bay is going to fire their coach. Um, I don't know about I, that to me is not a great place because you don't have the quarterback. Um, you know, uh, you look in the division, obviously the Packers, um, you know, who knows? I mean, and there's probably a couple other teams that can make a change as well. But um, I would say right off the top of my head that John Dorsey's a pretty good general manager. I think that maybe the, the owner in Cleveland has learned his lesson and is going to stay in his own lane and stay out of the decisions as it relates to personnel and, and who's the head coach. But Cleveland has, has spent the last five years accumulating players and draft picks, keeping on the Browns. Yeah. Uh, Rich Gannon, at the risk of you hanging up on us a minute early here, uh, the XFL has announced eight cities for its teams for 2020. We got Los Angeles, New York, uh, let's see here, uh, Houston, St. Louis, Seattle, Tampa, and Washington for the XFL's uh, relaunch, I guess, if we want to call it that, in 2020. Are you fired up for the XFL? I am. I'm going to try and make a comeback. I'm, I'm going to try and find the, the nearest team and send my resume with my my workout tape and see if they'll take me back. Yeah, I'm just going to be 53 here in a couple of weeks. I still think I've got a chance to, to make one of those teams. But I think it's a great thing in all seriousness, guys. I just think it's an opportunity for younger players. Uh, we just had a player on one of the teams get signed, already get signed by an NFL team. So, um, you know, they're, in their contracts, if, if an NFL team comes calling, they can leave immediately. There's no uh, repercussion. So um, I think it's good. I think it's a uh, uh, we need another league to develop young players, especially at the quarterback position. I can see it now. Gannon, Favre. Oh, my god! Marquee matchups, Rich. Happen. Oh, my god! Marquee gosh. matchups. Favre will come back. All you got to do is ask Favre. He, he'll come back for anybody. Yeah. Am I thinking about playing? Yeah, Maybe. Jonathan suggests Jeff George. Let's get all the gunslingers in the mix here. <laughs> come on. This is a great I idea. Think, I think I think it, Jeff George is another one who will come back. I think it, I think if you just, he offered him like maybe a, a case of beer and like, you know, a few like gift certificates, I think he'd come back. <laughs> the, o- the only rule is that you, you guys could come back and you couldn't be hit. No hitting the quarterback. I think you can all come back. Yeah. Yeah, it works for me. Yeah. You know, I. I wish they had that that rule in place when I was playing, though. <laughs> Brett, Brett Favre's ankles are still swollen from the 2009 NFC Championship game. So. I know it. That was a bad hit. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah. Rich, great stuff as always. We'll see you next week, you. man. You guys are the best. Thanks. All right, Rich Gannon. Forgot to ask him where he is this weekend, but it's like, lately it's been the Bengals. He's just following the I Bengals. I went through this, this list. I came up with, off the top here, eight potential openings and four more question marks. There could be as many as like 12 coaches in trouble. That's Man, remarkable. That probably well, tells you that, out already. So that also probably tells you that you got to sometimes you got to give it more than like two years. You you, you hire a coach and yep. you draft a quarterback and then you get two years and if you're still crappy now you're on the hot seat year three and then it's over you fire somebody. Well, what if you would have waited two more years and they would have had something? The guy might have been a genius. Like more than never know. More than two years and probably less than sixteen. <laughs> Paging Mike Brown and Marvin Lewis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna be Hugh Jackson. It'll be fine in Cincinnati. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Zero res. Mackie and Judd are back. Please continue. On 1500 ESPN. Football. Football! Football, yeah! Football! Oh, man. Uh, Mackie and Judd here. What, what are your thoughts? I brought up the XFL thing sort of tongue in cheek, but. 
Uh, we've got the XFL, and then what's this other league that's actually launching in 2019? Is it the, the AAFL? The Alliance of American Football, I think. AAF. Yeah. Launching days after the Super Bowl ends, correct? Yeah. Yep. That's the Chili League. I'm excited. Chili, yeah. He's I'm excited. He's the team in Atlanta with Michael yeah. Vick as his offensive coordinator. Fossil's back as well or Mike something? Marks. Right? Yeah, this is yeah. going to be... I'm excited about that league. And the fact that Oliver Luck for the XFL, that Oliver Luck, who's a credible figure, right? It's Andrew Luck's dad, and he was yeah. the... Was he the uh, the Virginia Tech or West Virginia? He was the West Virginia athletic director. Yeah, former quarterback himself. And he's been on the college football playoff committee, too, the selection committee. So you got a credible figurehead of the XFL. If you, I can't get past Vince McMahon and the XFL from 2001. But if it was just minor league football league number one and minor league football league number two, I would say this is awesome. They should have something like this, some step either between college and pro or some feeder system that is beyond college that you know you can. Put some programming on when we're bored watching Who's showing the games? baseball games that last four and a half hours. Who's showing the, these games? I think CBS is showing, or CBS Sports Network is showing the AAF games. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if the XFL has a TV partner yet. It was NBC the first time around. Oh yeah, not sure if NBC is going to take was. another sure. swim in those pools. Do you remember yeah. that? We're going to oh, go yeah. into the cheerleaders' locker rooms with Vince. Is going to go right in and there. The, the story about that is so interesting. Vince McMahon, and at that point. In the late 1990s, when they started thinking about this plan for a, a direct competition to the NFL, I mean, he was riding so high where his wrestling company was at five years before that. They were getting drubbed in the TV ratings by WCW and yeah. Ted Turner. Monday Night Wars. And so he, from about 1995, 96, when they were just getting slaughtered in the cable ratings, or maybe it was like 1997, and they turned this whole thing around. They started doing so. You you used to do a media column for the yeah. Star Tribune. You you definitely have a feel it. for for ratings. They were doing Monday Night Raw national ratings. They were doing like seven and eight shares Ooh. on mm. Monday Night for Raw, which is you put that up against big time playoff games, not NFL playoff games, but you put that up against NBA playoff games. That's and, on cable too, right? Yeah, I mean Monday Night Raw was doing like. NBA Finals Game 2 type ratings mm-hmm. around that time. And this was going up against Monday Night Football. Yes. So he thought, time. wait a second, I'm already beating Monday Night Football with my wrestling product. Well, what if I created a football product? If I'm beating it with a wrestling product, I can create a football product that's more entertaining and better. And he had zero concept of failure in his mind. So they launched it, and it was a disaster. The broadcast was a disaster. The first game was a disaster. I remember covering that first game. And they actually had the championship right game on, yeah. of of the inaugural and only XFL season was actually a fun shootout back and forth, like Tommy Maddox and the LA but, extreme against the San Francisco something. I think it was okay. They played at the Coliseum. Yeah. I remember that. And LA won the game. I think mm-hmm. they won the Is championship. Is that the one that, that went long though? And, and they cut it off or something. Maybe I, mean, I can't remember. <laughs> there was yeah, a big, that happened at the, some point. on the thir- 30 for 30 about the league. They had a big thing on, there was one game being played, I think at the Coliseum in LA that ate into SNL and they went absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. They're like, you can't go into SNL, get this off the air. And they were like going back and forth. And there was a power outage at one point. It was a complete disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I maybe they have announced a TV deal and I haven't heard it yet, but I don't think they have a TV partner. I just want to see Brad coach again. That's all I want. Chili. Do you guys know all of the coaches? There's some familiar names in the Alliance of American football. Isn't, of, Mike, uh, head isn't Mike Vick one of Childress's coordinators? He's or his something? offensive coordinator. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> So you have eight teams, Atlanta, Birmingham, Memphis, Orlando, um, and Arizona, Salt Lake City, 
San Antonio, and San Diego. So hold on. Before you go any further, mm-hmm. so you named a lot of smaller to mid-markets, right? Birmingham, San yep. Antonio. So that's an interesting strategy. Mm-hmm. The XFL cities are literally all, it's Dallas, Los Angeles, New York, it's Seattle, it's Washington, D.C. It's They're going... F- yep. They're clearly going for big TV markets, so they're they're going to put these games on TV in big markets and hope that they get numbers. Mm-hmm. But the AAF is going with a different approach. Yeah, so so we already we already mentioned Chile's going to coach the Atlanta team with Michael Vick as his offensive coordinator. The Birmingham Iron going to be coached by Tim Lewis, who I think was like a defensive coordinator in the NFL. The name sounds familiar, but the Memphis Express. You guys will like this. Head coached by. Mike Singletary. Oh my gosh! Who was a bad Crazy position eyes. coach? You guys will love. The, oh, it gets better. Trust me. Right. These next, these next uh, few get, names get better. The the Orlando Apollos <laughs> will be coached by Steve Spurrier. Yes. Okay, that's going to be fun. The old ball coach. That'd the, be fun to cover. The Arizona Hotshots will be coached by Rick Neuheisel. Really? Wow. wow. The Salt Lake Stallions will be coached by Dennis Erickson. Of course. How, Dennis Erickson's still old, rocking it. He's got to be 80, right? How old is he now? That dude's got to be 80. Yeah, he's got to be at least in the mid-70s, yeah. All right. Um, the San Antonio Commandeers, or no, I'm sorry, Commanders, I read that wrong, will be coached by former Nebraska and Oregon State head coach Mike Riley. Okay. <laughs> Good luck to them. And the uh, San Diego fleet will be coached by Mike Martz. And I think I love San Diego, I think they signed like Philip Nelson or they drafted Philip Nelson or something like that. How old yeah. is Mike Martz now, too? He's got to be close to 70, I think. And that dude's been out of these. He, when's the last time he had an NFL job? 10 years ago? Was that the Bears OC job? Yeah. Oh, you're right. It was. Yeah. We was calling plays for Cutler for one year or whatever right. it was. And yeah. of course, Mike I was Martz a disaster. Is 67. Oh my gosh. Mike Singletary taking another swing at coach and wow. But here's the funny that we sit here and we talk about how funny it is that they're gonna bring they're gonna dust off Dennis Erickson and Mike <laughs> Martz. I'm I'm for sure gonna watch. I'm for sure gonna oh, give it a week oh or two. Gosh, how do yes. we not 100%. get a team? Yes. How how do we not get one team? I'm shocked. I agree with that. It is I'm shocked it is disappointing. Drop a team in TCF Bank Stadium. Who, who would or coach something. the team that was here? Does it have to be someone local that would coach the team? No, just, I, it'd be it'd just be some. I'd go after Ticey. Ticey. Oh, oh I'd go gosh, after Mike, that'd be fantastic. Mike, I bring Mike Tice back in a second. That would oh, be really be fun. Well, I mean, Tim Brewster would be really fun too. <laughs> Blocky on Twitter though. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna wrap with Royce when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on fifteen hundred ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yeah. On 1500 ESPN. All right, quick check on your traffic before we wrap with Royce here. 494 southbound, we've got a crash in Plymouth. Uh, it's between uh, Olson Memorial Highway and Hennepin County Road 6. And it's causing about a six-minute delay and also 35W northbound. We still got that crash on uh, in Richfield between 60th Street and uh, Diamond Lake Road causing a nine-minute delay, gentlemen. Thank you, Manny. Uh, we wrap with Royce every day, and you can find now weekly every Monday on the Mackie and Judd podcast feed. And any, So pretty much anywhere you would find Mackie and Judd, you can find Royce and Judd untethered, unfiltered, unchained, baby. unchained and fully clothed, I've, I've been told. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes, that's true. Yes. Uh, so you're at Williams I, Arena, Pat. I am at uh, Williams Arena. Got here uh, kind of early to get some uh, stuff done, and uh, we're, uh, you know, Nebraska's, 
this isn't the Nebraska that we uh, generally have expected, you know, that just comes in and grinds it out. They actually have some athletes. So uh, maybe somebody will get 60 tonight. <laughs> and Nebraska's, uh, you know, tried to beat everybody 56, 55 for about uh, 10 years. But uh, Tim Miles has got more athletes this year, I guess. So uh, we will find out uh, the uh, – the Gophers are certainly going to have to. I mean, they'll put up a better effort at home, certainly, than they did at Ohio State. Their two road games have been awful. Their neutral site games have been okay, but they've been awful at home. I was just looking up Isaiah Washington, though, fellas. Uh, not shooting the ball well here this year. Uh, uh, no, no. Uh, Jelly, Jelly fam is not. He's uh, 14 for 59 from the field at 23.7 and uh, 4 for 25 on threes. 160 and uh boy did they need him to be the uh point guard uh it, some similarity to the guy they expected when they got him but uh you know what i i say that andrew wiggins his biggest flaw is he can't shoot and uh this kid's got the same flaw and that's a big flaw in basketball and then they both have the secondary flaw of not stopping shooting like they both <laughs> yeah. love their shots. It's like okay, you've, take, shot. you've, you've taken nine. Let's stop. You're over nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I asked Patino yesterday what the key to because uh, he had occasionally decent games. Isaiah and he, I said, "Is it making a couple of shots early?" And he basically said, "No, it's not shooting. Yeah, <laughs> it's not shooting. It's not shooting threes. Don't shoot as many threes, and you know, take the ball to the baskets and throw it to the wings and, uh, and do those kind of things." But uh, they're having a hard time convincing the the player of the year for the entire state of New York uh, to believe that he's not a uh, uh, a jump shooter. How did that happen, though, Patrick? How how is he the player of the year for the entire state of New York? I don't know how any of this happens. But what's interesting is there's uh, two point guards in the state of Minnesota that year, McKinley Wright, who's great at Colorado. And, uh, and, uh, of course, uh, Brad Davison, the hated point guard of Wisconsin, who should be a Duke taking charges, but he's taking them over Wisconsin, but, uh, the Maple Grove guy. And they're both, uh, you know, they both were really good as freshmen and are, are really, you know, Davison's fallen off a little because a couple of guys at Wisconsin are healthy who were hurt last year, but McKinley Wright's fantastic. The Gophers tried to get him sort of, but the fact that they already had Washington discouraged him from uh, coming to Minnesota. And boy, could they use him! Wow. Yeah, uh, Pat. I know that last year we had to wait about six months into the off season for baseball to finally do something for yes. so for someone to sign. So we've already had a bunch of major moves and free agent signings, and the, the two big names haven't signed yet. But Paul Goldschmidt was traded today to the St. Louis Cardinals about an hour ago. And uh, I think that makes more action in the first what three weeks of free agency and and offseason trading than we had pretty yes. much the entire winter last year. And a veteran broadcaster, Mike Grimm, uh, informed me of that in a very excited fashion because he's of course a Cardinals fan and uh, very happy to see uh, they get them get go and get Goldschmidt, who's only got a year left on his contract. But uh, a lot of those guys end up going like Van Holiday. They go to St. Louis and they enjoy it so much with the fans going to games and stuff. So they'll they'll give them a little discount to stay there, and uh, you know they're. It's nice to see teams trying instead of unloading, isn't it? What's going on with the goofy Mets, though? I guess they figure with Syndergaard and DeGrom, they uh, got to try to win, huh? Agent, right? He took that job and yeah, basically agent. told him, 
I can win now. And the rest of the yeah. pe- people that came uh, that talked to the uh, ownership about it essentially said this is a rebuild. And he's the one guy who said, "Hell no, I'll win. I'll win next year." And I think he's probably crazy. Well, yeah, Fred Wilpin is ninety years old or something. He probably doesn't feel like uh, you know he wants to sit around and wait for a rebuilding project. So anyway, that's uh, I'm glad somebody's spending money, but uh, I have no idea what our boys are up to though. I uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they're going to try to fill some holes or see what it is. We've talked about it, though. It's kind of hard to decide whether you've got to fill some holes until you find out if Sano and Buxton are going to uh, be good players for you or not. So Yeah, so does it – I mean, I, I get not wanting to spend for the sake of spending, but, you know, if you've got – if it's a bunch of one- and two-year contracts and you want to put $15 million on a guy for 2019, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Where I had a problem is, is these four- and five-year Ricky Nolasco contracts where you get six months in and you know that it's a disaster. But there's got to be money to be spent out there on somebody. Yes, but the uh, the Ricky or Nolasco's of the world are being traded, are being replaced by the opener. Good luck, fellas. <laughs> if you're right. Ricky Nolasco, the years of the fifth starter or the fourth starter getting $60 million, those years are <laughs> over, pal. They have figured out how to replace you with bodies. <laughs> I mean, Ricky Nolasco had a couple of starts where he was the opener and came out in the first inning. Yeah, so, yeah he you know, did. He's like, oh, let's hey, take that I money. see uh, future Hall of Famer Jason Stark has, uh, did you see the thing he wrote yes. about the growing the movement to get rid of the shift? Yes, soon too, can, right? He can I he and I can uh, endorse that. Uh, I I don't know how you get rid of it. I guess you maybe you can only maybe got to have at least one guy on the one side of the base or something. Yes. Uh, everybody talks about the shift, but it's all left hand. It's all to keep left handers in the game. Basically, that's where the shift takes place, and and those are the guys getting killed as the uh, left handed hitter. Yeah, they've got to do something, Patrick. Yeah, it's, they, they need to do something. I don't know. I think I almost think that. I don't think the is the shift a bigger problem for like scoring to you guys or for actual like stopping and pace of play and things like that. That's part of it. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not anti-shift as much as I am other things. But uh, you know, I'm. You know what drives me nuts is everybody trying to make a perfect pitch. Throw the ball over the plate. Come on. Yeah. Let's go. And you know what? When you throw it, you, you pipe a fastball right down the middle, and in baseball. It's still a coin flip as if he's going to yes, square right. it up, right? Yeah. Come on, throw it over the plate. Yep. Everybody, I, I think uh, I think Willie Astadio ought to hold seminars for hitters. All <laughs> he's your guy. Yep. <laughs> he's right. going to be your guy in 2019. You no, know, he's playing in Venezuela every day. He's back down there playing every day in Venezuela. He just goes back down there and starts hacking again. Yep. God bless him. Free Willie. Free yeah. Willie. All right, Royce, I'll see you there. Yeah. Bye. Bye. That's uh, Patrick Royce. You may know him from just being around. <laughs> oh, I want more hits. If you can't shift, do, do we get more hits? <laughs> That's my question. Because I want more hits. I don't care about home runs. I want more. I want the ball and play more. Actual yeah, but action. I, but I don't disagree with you. But like, if a guy dribbles a single up the middle because he could, I'd rather shift, have the, Are you going to stand up from your couch and like standing? I'm going yes. to hoist my beer up and be like, "Yay!" Right, right. See you guys tomorrow.